go-to podcast for uni students or speechies who know a little about a lot, giving you handy tips and tricks to survive in the real world, the stuff that no one prepares you for. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Diary of a New Grad Speechy with your hosts, Ash and Cass. We are so excited for today's interview. As speechies, we are so lucky to be able to work in a number of environments. Many of us, as students or new graduates, have aspirations to one day work in a hospital or government health setting. However, aren't quite sure how to be so lucky to land these roles. Today, we have those answers. We chat to the amazing, educative, and inspiring Amy, a speech pathologist and speech pathology director of a Queensland hospital and health service. We feel so privileged to have Amy share her knowledge and wisdom with us and with you all. So let's bring her in. Welcome, Amy. It is so great to have you on Diary of a New Grad Speechy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I wanted to congratulate you on the podcast. It is such a good listen and you guys should be really proud of yourselves. Oh, thank you. That's really nice to hear. (laughs) Thank you. It hasn't been easy, that's for sure. Like it's quite tricky to like record, edit and put content out that we think people would actually want to hear. I can only begin to imagine, I have to be honest, I hadn't listened to a podcast until I listened to yours. So my husband just thinks that I'm, you know, from the dark ages, Um, but I've listened to all of them and they're really, they're really good. They're really informative and you guys should be really proud of yourselves. Thank you. That's really nice coming from you, especially. That's great. Before we start every guest interview, we always ask our guests for either a crazy client story or a career highlight thus far. Sure, sure thing. I'm going to go with a, um, a client story. So early on in my career, a colleague and I were really fortunate to actually be invited to theatre to observe a laryngectomy being performed. So that was an amazing opportunity. I actually then went on to manage this client post-op and um, got him all sorted and discharged back to his regional hometown. And then many years later, I came to work in that Um, regional setting and lo and behold he turned up on my clinic door one day to have his voice prosthesis changed so he remembered me I certainly remembered him and and that was pretty special so I actually got to manage him for a couple of years before he then moved away again wow that sounds like almost fate I guess that you were like meant to work together It was amazing. Yeah, it was really special, actually. So he was just such a lovely guy and his wife was beautiful. And so, yeah, I felt I felt pretty lucky in that instance and thought that might be a nice way to start today. (laughs) And how cool is that that you got to watch the surgery like that doesn't happen often? No, that was very fortunate. Actually, we worked with some really amazing ENT doctors and we had a bit of a program going and they invited us. Obviously, we had to like sign paperwork and get patient consent but what an opportunity yeah I I still it's a a highlight actually for me yeah for sure and was there a reason why you went and watched it or it was just it was a learning opportunity yeah yeah which was we didn't go for the whole um operation because they actually go for a lot longer than I realized but we, we were there for a good hour or so and it was it was incredible yeah and then to know him after that and then down the track many many years later and to see his life and it was just really, really special. Yeah. 
that is really special and such a cool opportunity. I probably would remember that always as well. Definitely. Yeah, it was pretty early on. So Amy, can you tell us about yourself? Um, So where are you working now and what does your day kind of look like working as a speech therapist? Sure. Sure. Okay. So, well, a bit about me. So I'm a mum. I'm a novice runner. I love food. I love eating out, which is quite hard with small children, but we make it happen. And just as a, you know, interesting fact, when I turned 40, I took up mountain bike riding, which in hindsight was not a very good idea. I had some massive stackers, so I've sort of put the bike away for a little while. But obviously also the reason for the podcast is I'm also a speechy. So I've been with Queensland Health now, coming up on 20 years actually. So, and I did actually start with the organisation as a new grad. So I've worked my entire career with Queensland Health. I've been in my director role that I'm in now for just over 10 years with a few bits of time away here and there to have my babies. And and, um, recently I've tried taking on a bit more of a senior leadership role for short periods so I'm, um, I'm pretty grateful every day for my, for my job, to be honest. I, I work with really amazing people, super dedicated, and I get to do clinical work, which is really nice. So that probably leads into what my day looks like. I actually, in my, my role, I have sort of like a 50-50 split. I do what it's supposed to be, but 50% managerial and around 50% clinical. So I'm full-time. Our team, our regional team works across two quite busy regional hospital settings. So we're split across the two, three from acute, subacute to rehab. We do inpatients, outpatients, paediatrics, adults. We have video fluoroscopy, which is awesome. So my day is pretty much all over the shop, actually. I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I could start my day in the nursery, seeing a little bub for some feeding. I might then duck back for a meeting come back out to Peds Ward for a bit and then maybe head over to Video Fluoro in the afternoon and then more meetings. I do go to a lot of meetings. So that seems to be um, a lot of my week. I'm pretty lucky, hey, it's, it's a really diverse job. I'm certainly a generalist these days. So that's basically what my day looks like in my job at the moment. So where you're working, you said you, you would have a ped feeding and then you'd go into an adult. So are all the speech therapists there, they all see across the lifespan or do you have some speeches that only would do peds or adults? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Thanks, Ash. We sort of do have set caseloads. So majority of our team, the, the HP3s particularly, they do predominantly adult Um, you know, hospital inpatient work. And they do have some small paediatric outpatient clinics like communication clinics. Our HP4s do have more set caseloads as well. So one's dedicated to acute, one's dedicated to subacute and rehab. They see adult like dysphagia outpatients, voice outpatients and help and do video fluoroscopy as well. So we, everyone actually does get a little bit of a mix in their day, but some more than others. Okay, that's interesting. And then so do they always uh, like kind of rotate? Yeah, our HP3s do. Our HP4s sort of stay where they are, but we're, we're a really small team. So I also forgot our amazing allied health assistants. So they, we have an allied health assistant dedicated at both hospitals as well, and they're amazing. They get experience across the board. They do a phenomenal job. Awesome. It sounds like you have some great opportunities there and being in Queensland Health for 20 years, I can just imagine the opportunities and experiences you would have had during that time. A question that I have always asked people 
in your position, Amy, and I know a lot of people ask us as well, is how did you get to where you are today? Because you are like the epitome of a speechy. <laughs> I think something that everybody wants to be. <laughs> That's very nice of you to say, Cass, but I'm not sure about that. <laughs> hey, look, do you know, how did I get to where I am today? I had to really stop and reflect on this question. I think I've been very fortunate. I have had some incredible role models along the way. I really have that have guided me, that have pushed me along when I needed a push and that have taught me. So I think the role models I've had, I I cannot underestimate um, the importance that they've played in my career to this point. I also think, or I hope that I'm pretty good at building relationships I think I'm pretty good at that. That's really helped me throughout my career, not just early on, but also every day where I am now. I think that's so humble as well. You can identify that you've been lucky in sort of helping you get to where you are today, but there have been people along the way to really absolutely No, absolutely. I have been lucky. You're right, Cass. And those speeches and those team leaders and those supervisors and those colleagues, I, I mean, I have worked with and you know built relationships with some really incredible people and they are the ones I think that really have and still do help you you know just foster your career and get to where you are and I think it's always nice to acknowledge like your mentors and who you learn off because when you come out of uni you don't know everything and then so it's really (laughs) you feel really lucky when you get a really great mentor that you know you can literally learn so much from Um, Absolutely. Yeah. When I was at university and placements were coming up, we would always be like, oh, you know, let's get a hospital placement, like fingers crossed. And it's really a sought after kind of placement. So do you have any advice for students that are listening to this podcast that are coming up to a placement in the hospital? What kind of things do you look for in, in a student? Yeah, absolutely. So as soon as you find out where you're heading on placement, Get in contact with your supervisor or the CISO or the placement coordinator. Send them that introductory email early. It shows A, that you're enthusiastic and B, that you're organised, which is lovely. And, you know, I actually ran this question past quite a few of my colleagues. So I I got then some really common themes came up. So um, that organisation one, Everyone said that. And that's coming from me. I am not a very well-organized person, but um, but I'm I'm getting, (laughs) I've got got to-do lists for to-do lists, but look, have your pen and paper at the ready and try and be as organized as you possibly can. A lot of people that I spoke to, because I I thought I'll, I'll garner some, you know, feedback on this question. They said, look, it's really great if you can show and take initiative as a student, That might be a really small thing, taking initiative to, hey, I've gone and read this or I thought I'd do this or I helped out by checking this, you know, ward list in the morning. That goes a really long way, both as a student and throughout your career. And then being open and responsive to feedback and modifying what you do and changing as your feedback comes. That, again, that's not just important as a student. That is throughout your career. But they're the big ones that I think for those students coming out on placement, you know, that would be the advice I would give them. And and obviously a lot of my colleagues would too. So I think too, while you're on placement, try and, you know, 
talk to your supervisor or the director or the manager of the the practice or or the placement if you can and get some advice from them on entering the workforce interview tips how to write the responses we're looking for hopefully that will help you as you lead up to graduation and as you enter the workforce I really wanted to touch on to the attributes that I personally look for in not just students, but clinicians. And and this is across the board. This is from new graduates, early career, right through to our more senior clinicians. I look for adaptability and flexibility. You really sometimes just have to be able to roll with it. You know, at the drop of a hat, a caseload might change, a rotation might change, you know, a procedure or something changes. and, And sometimes you've just got to be able to roll with it. I also really look for people who can demonstrate some resilience and some self-awareness. That seems pretty self-explanatory, but they are quite important qualities, I think, to survive to in a very busy health career. I actually also look for people who have a positive approach to their work, to their colleagues, to their team, people who look for the best in others in a situation that's really important to me personally. And I look for communication skills I don't just look for good I look for exceptional and and I personally expect that across the board I expect people to have really exceptional communication skills and be good listeners it's really important I think those are really great points that you made Amy and thinking of like our jobs now I mean Ash and I are still what we would consider I guess early career species but those skills that seem so simple are actually like so important and we use we need to use every single day in our careers Absolutely. and work. Yep, absolutely. You know, a lot can be applied right from when you're a student through to 10 years into your career, 20 years into your career. And I think if you lose sight of those things, then maybe you need to stop and have a think about whether you're on the right career path. Yeah, definitely. And they sound so easy as well. Like you would think that most of us would have those skills coming into health, but sometimes like, I guess not everybody has those skills. And you can't teach some of those things. I think also you can't teach about being open to feedback. (laughs) Some people, you know, when you're uh, when you get feedback after a session, I know some people kind of take it personally in a way, yeah. which is really tricky. Um, and yet, like, yeah. I guess you can't teach that of how to actually just accept the feedback that it's just yeah. not a reflection on you. It's just, you know, the session and then change your practice after that. So definitely. Yeah. yeah you can't take it all to heart. <laughs> So as part of your role, Amy, you see students on placements, you're the director, you see a lot of what comes in and what goes out. You would have a massive part in the interview and application process for new employees. So can you talk us through any tips for interviewees or applicants and anything that you would recommend for how to stand out during that process? Absolutely. Do you know Julia, your director from KidSpot? She put this great in her interview as well. I was listening to hers. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I think and I say. So um, she talked about showing genuine interest. That is so important. Calling beforehand to introduce yourself. If there is a person listed as the contact person for that job, give them a call. A, it shows that genuine interest and B, it often gives you the opportunity to get a little bit of extra information about the job that maybe you didn't know beforehand or that wasn't in the role description or the the ad that goes up. When people call me, I definitely give them a bit of extra insight into the team and the role. And, you know, I really think that then that comes through in often their written response or in their interviews. I think you can see that. 
And to be honest, there is nothing worse than interviewing someone who obviously doesn't understand the role they've applied for. And that happens more than what you'd think and not at an early career level, but I've interviewed senior clinicians who've got no idea what they're applying for. So I think Julia put that really well in her interview as well. I also want to know why you want to come and work for our HHS. Look up our website look up what the values of the of the HHS are, look at what their priorities are. And if you can try and weave that into your written response or your, or your interview, I want to know why you want to come and work for our hospital and health service. We're basically businesses these days. And I think Julia covered a bit of that in her interview as well about, you know, the, the practice and get to know why you're applying for this job. We've also started using a video interview program called Sonru and I use this A, to get to know a bit more about the applicants and then B, to decide who we're then going to progress on to say a face-to-face interview. We ask a bit more generic questions in those Sonru interviews. So I thought, um, would you like me to give a couple of examples? That would be really great. Yep, cool. So some of the things we might ask on our video interviews these days, and we use these across the board, HP3, HP4, HP5 and above. So things might be, tell us about yourself and why you want to work for Queensland Health. Could you please describe how your experience to date has prepared you for the role of HP3 speech pathologist in blah hospital or blah setting? What do you enjoy most about working with patients? And what's the most challenging aspect of working with patients? Another one might be, In your role of a hospital speech pathologist, who do you see as being your important customers and what do you do to meet their needs? And then another one I ask a lot, both in video interviewing and in face-to-face, is if you were successful in getting this role, what things do you think you might need to learn or do to bring you up to speed quickly? So there are some of our generic introductory questions we might ask these days in a video interview. And then obviously we'd progress on to face-to-face or over, over the phone interviews, which are a bit more detailed and they will include aspects that are technical, so clinical. They'll also include behavioural questions and then often ones around organisational fit or how are you going to fit into our team and our service or organisation. I'd really encourage students and early career speeches or anyone across the board really to Google behavioural interview questions. You know, there's heaps of them out there. They give you some really nice examples of these questions that we might ask graduates right through to ones at leadership levels. So maybe a question that might be asked of a graduate is something like, can you describe a time when you undertook advocacy for a patient and what was the outcome? So that's a behavioural interview question. There's also some other questions that I often use in particularly HP3 interviews. So I thought I might give a couple of examples of those too, if that's okay. Definitely. Yeah, this has been really insightful. Thank you. Cool. So I will often ask people, what are the top three attributes that you can bring to the role? And that sets you apart from other applicants. Sometimes people have a lot of trouble getting three and they've got them. They just can't express them. <laughs> Every time when I've gone for an interview, I literally need to sit down and think, okay. Write them out. The attributes. Yeah. And I have to write them down because yep. I just really struggle about talking about my strengths. And that's selling yourself. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, it's not a skill that comes very comfortably to most of us, Ash, but it's important. And we want to know. So write them out. Take notes with you. You know, take stuff with you to the interview. Take notes. It could be clinical notes, you know, like 
scribble down if we ask a peds question or an adult question and, and take those prompts about what are my top three attributes just in case they ask me or you know what are some of my learning goals and actually another question I do ask on learning goals is is a question that's sort of basically structured like even though we try and be an expert in our area of work it's impossible to know and understand everything so can you tell us about an aspect of speech pathology you're still trying to master and how you go about this that is relevant from early career right through that question Another one I like to ask, and this one can be tricky for some people as well, is I like to ask people how they define doing a good job. And how do you know at the end of the day, you've done a good job? That seems like a really simple question, but it can be for some people a very, and I'm, I'm not setting them up to fail by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to know what they define as basically doing a good job. Yeah, and where they kind of strive for their level of achievement. Yes. Do they want to get the job completely done or are they happy yep. with doing a partial job? Yeah, and what it means to them, you know, personally yeah. at the end of the day, you know, how do you know you've done a good job at the end of the day? That's right, and I'm just trying to think now, how, well, I would even answer that question, and Ash and I have spoken about this before, like it's really important to reflect on your work and identify the positives, which I don't think mm-hmm. do enough. Really good point, Cass. So, I have been known to sit in my car on the way home from work and like give myself a bit of a self high five, which sounds ridiculous, but you've got to celebrate the small wins. And I think that is one of the things I want, I would like to tell myself as a new grad, if I could, you know, celebrate your small wins. And they're the things that will come across in an interview. If you've got some way of gauging at the end of the day, how you went with not only your patients, but you as a clinician, how you feel at the end of the day and, and what that means to you, that's really important. Yeah, for sure. I can just imagine seeing you in the car going, woo, and like high-fiving yourself. I, yeah. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is good because then, yeah, you get into like a positive mindset about your work. Otherwise Definitely. you get stuck in a little rut and you're just like, oh, and you dwell mm. on the negatives. So it's a good routine to be in. Amy, do you have any ideas for getting your foot into Queensland Health? This is the million dollar question. It is. So, (laughs) yay. Um, Basically, you've got to be willing to take short-term contract work. It might only be two weeks. Look for hospitals outside of Queensland as well, but it gets you in the workplace. It gets you that little bit of experience and it looks good on your resume. So we've got a speechy in our team at the moment who started with us on a one-month contract with absolutely no guarantee of extension and they've been with us nearly two years now just by situation after situation maternity leave so still with us now at two years if you can if your personal circumstances will allow it be prepared to move go remote go regional get out there outside of metro and tertiary if that's where you eventually want to be i'm sure one day you'll be able to make your way back there but take what you can really another bit of advice is try not to pigeonhole yourself so i guess early on in my career i definitely thought that i'd only ever be an adult speechy and it it took quite some time for me to realize that i had to challenge myself and be prepared to take opportunities outside what I thought was my comfort zone. And then look at where I am now. I am mostly a paediatric speechy. So it's not where I first thought I'd start. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's, that's, that's the same uh, as Cassie and I. 
<laughs> we thought we were going to be adult speeches and then, yeah, we're both in a paediatric role right now. So. And look at you guys doing great things in paediatric. So. <laughs> and look outside Queensland. Obviously, we used to encourage a lot of our early career speeches years ago. We'd say, go overseas, do a couple of years in the UK, come back. That's probably not an option now, but, you know, look outside the state and if you want that metro tertiary job, I'm sure one day you will make your way back there. I think you are definitely giving some really great advice because a lot of people coming out of uni, especially like if you're so used to living in a big city or, you know, all of your friendship circle and family is here, Mm -hmm. it can be really hard to look beyond that and yeah like you said, move out of your comfort zone. And I can speak on behalf of me, like for someone that went to, you know, grew up in a small town, moving out of that to something totally different was the best thing I ever did. And I think that's not spoken about enough. So I think that advice is really good. Yeah. And it's those short-term contracts, Cass. So let's say we've been fortunate enough to get our foot in the door at Queensland Health now after all of your amazing advice. What are the expectations, I guess, of the workload or the support and supervision that you receive as an employee for Queensland Health? Sure. So I guess I can't speak for all Queensland Health workplaces here, but just like in private practice, we do have activity expectations and targets, just like the equivalent billable hours. In our team, for example, for our new grad or our early career speeches, we'd be working on sort of an 80-20 split in their role. So 80% of their role would be clinical and 20% would be non-clinical. And that non-clinical would cover things like doing QI and engaging in supervision and, and learning and development. In our team, we do aim for our new grads to have weekly supervision that then will stretch out to fortnightly and monthly as their experience develops. We've got Queensland Health Guidelines on supervision and look, that doesn't always happen that way just with workloads and staffing but that is certainly what we try and aim for yeah that's really good to know and I think as a student or a new grad you sometimes I was guilty of this can like expect to get heaps of support and heaps of supervision but we don't really know what the guidelines are and I think now that I've come out you understand that once a week is pretty much the like the standard really pretty much the standard yeah absolutely yeah and that I mean it should be dedicated quarantine time you know with your supervisor but sometimes it is on the fly you know it's a quick chat on the side but that all hopefully gives you that support and that guidance that you need I think sometimes the quick chat on the side is a lot more helpful because Mm. I know sometimes when I wait for my weekly mentoring, if I don't write it down, I completely forget about it. But if I quickly just catch my supervisor as what, you know, we're both free, then I can ask those questions that I would have totally forgotten about. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. What about uh, professional development? Is there any common opportunities that Queensland Health offers Yeah, sure. So we have a professional development allowance that's paid to us. And also we get some paid PD leave days, unfortunately, but that for our permanent staff, or I think now it might be staff over a certain length of contract, but don't quote me on that. Um, But look, within the team, I really try and support all of our staff to access whatever PD they want that's relevant to their role. We have these things called performance appraisal and development plans. That's a big mouthful, PADs for short. And they're a yearly document that set out each of our teams or persons 
person's um, like learning goals and development plan. And it's my job to try and support them and, and make that happen for them. So PD has changed a lot since COVID as well. We are doing a lot more online webinars and, and self-directed learning, but there is a lot out there. It's just having that support, I think, within your team to access it. Good to know that that's available and very well supported and encouraged. Yeah. And time for our last question. Is there anything you wish you knew, Amy, as a student or new grad? Sure. So I've got three or four things here. Try not to sweat the small stuff. I also think, and I spoke about this before, you need to celebrate your wins, however small they may be. That's my self high fives in the car on the way home. My other piece of advice I wish I'd told myself back then, it, it is impossible to know everything. No one should expect you to know everything. And you also don't have to try and act like you know everything. So be kind to yourself and, and show humility. And the other thing is that don't underestimate the importance of building those relationships especially I think with the key support people that you work with. And by that, I don't mean the speechies. I mean the allied health assistants, the ward clerks, the admin officers, the menu monitors, the kitchen staff. Learn from them, treat them with respect. They are professionals just like you. They're really great tips. (laughs) I feel like especially the kitchen staff because you're always talking to them (laughs) and you want them to... Be kind. You've got to be kind to them, yeah. They don't want to be like, oh, she's calling again. What should we stuff up this time? And especially ward clerks and admin officers, you got to get them on side and treat them respectfully day one. I just think sometimes we forget how important those people who form part of our jobs are. Yeah, definitely. And they're professionals just like us. Exactly. They have a professional responsibility just like we do. So we should treat them how we want to be treated. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Amy. That's the end of our questions. But Cassie and I just want to say we're so thankful that you have taken time out of your day today to talk to us and you you have given such a great insight into Queensland Health and especially for any students or anyone wanting to apply for Queensland Health. So we can take a lot away from today. Thank you. And thanks for having me. And congrats again on the podcast. It's such a good listen. Thank you. Thank you so so much. Bye. 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 (laughs) Thanks for listening to Diary of a New Grad Speechy with your hosts, Cass and Ash. If you like what we have to say, please give us a follow on Instagram at Diary of a New Grad Speechy. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review below. Thanks so much and see you all next week. Bye. Bye.